Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, August 11th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Melissa Topshire. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. A presidential candidate in Ecuador is assassinated. The U.S. is accused of pushing Pakistan to oust former Prime Minister Imran Khan. A Utah man who threatened Biden is killed in an FBI raid. Wildfires kill at least 36 in Hawaii. Iran claims to be testing a supersonic cruise missile. India passes a data protection bill amid surveillance concerns. Russia and Ukraine exchange drone attack. The FBI is accused of a widespread campaign to label traditional Catholics radicals. Twitter is fined for delayed compliance with a Trump election probe. And U.S. scientists say they're close to discovering a fifth force of nature. In our top story, Ecuador presidential candidate Via Vicencio is assassinated. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Wall Street Journal, Al Jazeera, BBC News, Reuters, CBS, and The Telegraph. Ecuadorian presidential hopeful Fernando Villavicencio was assassinated after leaving a campaign event at a school in the capital Quito on Wednesday, less than a fortnight before voting is due to take place. Local media reported that Villavicencio was killed hitman style with three shots in the head as assailants fired around 30 shots. In response to this crime, outgoing President Guillermo Lasso declared a nationwide 60-day state of emergency. Los Lobos appeared to claim responsibility for the attack. However, men claiming to be gang members posted a video saying it wasn't them. Another gang, Los Choneros, who threatened Via Vicencio last month, have also been suspected. Officials said a suspect later died of wounds sustained in a shooting, with six others so far arrested for the crime that reportedly injured another nine people, including two police officers and a legislative candidate. The 59-year-old anti-corruption crusader and former journalist was recently polling second with 13% behind Luisa Gonzalez, who is close to former left-wing president Rafael Correa. The elections set for August 20th will go ahead as planned. Once a peaceful country, Ecuador has become a hub of drug trafficking and violence in recent years. It is now ranked 31st out of 193 nations on the Global Organized Crime Index, with the homicide rate higher than Mexico. Thank you, Eric, for those sobering facts. And on this program, we separate the facts from the narrative spins. And we'll begin this first narrative spin from the Epic Times. A fierce critic of the convicted and corrupt former socialist president Rafael Correa via Vicencio had been threatened by drug traffickers as violence and drug cartels have been a hot topic in his campaign. It's not hard to realize that his assassination has exposed some of the covert links that are turning Ecuador into a narco state. Now it's time to connect the dots and take action. Narrative B comes from The Economist. Though undoubtedly a shocking tragedy, this killing shouldn't come as a surprise for those closely observing Latin America, as the region has been political violence on the rise for a while amid growing populism. The mayor of the Ecuadorian port city of Manta was killed last month, and scores of politicians, including 35 candidates, were killed ahead of Mexico's 2021 midterm elections. Though it's sad, the data show this isn't rare. Oh, but it is oh so sad. Well, it's now becoming a dangerous profession to be a politician. It is. It's like it's right up there with skydiving. Yeah. 
Actually, I think it might be safer to skydive. Want to help us improve the news? Go to improvethenews.org slash pod and take our quick survey and tell us what you think. And now back to the news. The U.S. is accused of pushing Pakistan to oust former Prime Minister Imran Khan. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Intercept, The Diplomat, Voice of America, The Times of India, Reuters, and Dawn. Days after Pakistan's former Prime Minister Imran Khan was sentenced to three years in prison on corruption charges he denies, a classified document obtained by The Intercept and published Wednesday suggests that the U.S. State Department pressured the Pakistani government to remove Khan from office. Khan, the former cricketer-turned-politician, was ousted from power in April 2022 when his Pakistan Tariq-e-Insaf, or PTI, party lost a vote of no confidence. At the time, he claimed that the U.S. had hatched a plot to topple his government for his refusal to cancel his late February visit to Moscow. The alleged classified Pakistani government document shows that a meeting was held between two U.S. State Department officials and Assad Majid Khan, Pakistan's then-ambassador to the U.S. on March 7, 2022. In the meeting, the U.S. representatives reportedly voiced their displeasure at Khan's neutrality on Russia's war with Ukraine, adding that if a no-confidence vote against Khan succeeds, quote, all will be forgiven in Washington. If not, it will be tough going ahead. On March 8, Pakistan's opposition parties submitted a formal request to the country's parliament requiring that Khan face a no-confidence vote for alleged poor governance and a dwindling economy. Khan lost the vote on April 10. When asked to comment on The Intercept's report, U.S. State Department spokesman Matthew Miller said the allegations that the United States has interfered in internal decisions about the leadership of Pakistan are false. Melissa, thank you for the facts of that story. We begin our round of spins with an establishment critical narrative coming from Intercept. The classified document makes clear in black and white the carrot and stick approach adopted by the U.S. If Imran Khan is removed from power, all would be forgiven in Washington. If not, there would be consequences, economic and otherwise, for the country's bilateral relations. And the pro-establishment narrative comes from GEO. This cable doesn't prove anything other than Khan's incessant effort to promote a conspiracy theory against Washington. The U.S. had publicly and privately expressed its concerns to Pakistan over its stance on the Russia-Ukraine war. However, any allegations that the U.S. interfered in the country's internal political process is categorically false. FBI agents kill a man accused of threatening President Biden. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Politico, Fox News, Associated Press, and CNN. At approximately 6.45 a.m. local time on Wednesday, a Provo, Utah man was shot and killed by FBI agents as they were serving search and arrest warrants in connection to the threats made on social media that targeted President Joe Biden and other government officials. On Monday, the accused, Craig DeLayu Robertson, reportedly 74, posted online that he was cleaning the dust off the M24 sniper rifle in response to the news of Biden's visit to Utah on Wednesday. The FBI began investigating Robertson after an online threat he made in March against Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. A law enforcement source said that Robertson was armed when federal agents arrived to execute the warrants, as court filings showed that he owned numerous firearms. Provo is south of Salt Lake City, where President Joe Biden arrived on Wednesday in advance of a scheduled visit at a Veterans Affairs hospital and for a campaign fundraiser on Thursday. 
online, Robertson referred to himself as a MAGA Trumper and made numerous threats against political opponents of former President Trump and those involved with legal cases against him. The shooting will be investigated by the FBI's inspection division, as is the case for all agent-involved shootings. Robertson was facing three federal charges in connection to the threats, while his neighbors said he wasn't a threat to the public. Thank you, Eric, for those facts, and we'll begin with a pro-establishment narrative from the Associated Press. Trump and his allies have fomented anger and violence in the country, and it's putting lives at risk. As the January 6th riot and a violent attack at an FBI office in Ohio have shown, there are real consequences to this dangerous partisanship. Because of Trump's election conspiracies, an elderly man is now dead as he stirs anger and resentment in a way that goes beyond politics as usual. We follow that up with an establishment critical narrative coming from Deseret News. Regardless of what one thinks of the former president, we need more answers from the FBI in this sad case. From Ruby Ridge to Waco, the federal government has a history of unnecessarily escalating encounters with those opposed to the government. And there must be more solid evidence other than a few Facebook posts for guns to be drawn on a senior citizen with limited mobility. Hawaii wildfires kill at least 36 and force thousands to evacuate. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, The New York Times, CBS, The Washington Post, and CNN. On Wednesday, Maui County officials announced that at least 36 people have died in the fast-moving wildfires that have destroyed Lahaina, a resort city and several surrounding neighborhoods on the western side of Hawaii's Maui Island. With at least three fires burning, the state's Lieutenant Governor Sylvia Luke warned tourists that Hawaii is not a safe place to be. Even with the warning, flights carrying vacationers continue to arrive on the island. The U.S. Coast Guard confirmed reports that in an effort to escape the blaze, 14 people jumped into the Lahaina Harbor. Alan Dicker, a business owner in the resort town, said there were no fire trucks at that point. I think the fire department was overwhelmed. The Hawaiian islands have endured months of drought, which, which increased the fire risk. Fanned by hurricane force winds from Hurricane Dora, the fire rapidly spread and was nearly impossible to contain from the ground or the air. Reports indicate that much of Lahaina has been destroyed, including over 270 buildings in the community that's home to 12,000 residents. As of late Wednesday night, poweroutage.us reported more than 11,000 customers were without power. As the fires continued to burn Thursday, President Joe Biden approved a disaster declaration for the state, directing federal aid to assist local recovery efforts. Melissa, thank you for the facts. We begin our round of spins with Narrative A coming from The Guardian. Several factors contributed to the fast-moving wildfires occurring in Hawaii, but make no mistake, they're all linked to climate change. A prolonged period of drought and increased temperature dried out the grass, creating fuel for the wildfires. Increased sea temperatures then drove stronger hurricanes that fanned the fires, extending their deadly reach. Without any action to address climate change, this will be just one of many catastrophic events. And narrative B given by the Honolulu Civil Beat. Unprepared is a common theme being echoed by Hawaiian officials and residents. Despite knowing the risks of a prolonged period of drought followed by a passing hurricane, the state failed to adequately prepare for the collision of the two forces. This unprecedented deadly event may have been born from several factors, 
but they were all known and documented. Now the island's residents must pay the price in lost lives, homes, and businesses. Iran claims a supersonic cruise missile is undergoing tests. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Middle East Eye, Al Jazeera, Tasnim News Agency, The Cradle, and The Media Line. Iran has achieved the technological capability to build supersonic cruise missiles. Its semi-official Tasnim News Agency claimed on Wednesday amid rising tensions with the U.S. over military deployments in the Persian Gulf. The homegrown cruise missiles are reportedly being tested and will mark the beginning of a new chapter in Iran's defense capabilities by significantly reducing the Iranian armed forces' response time in case of an attack. Iran's cruise missiles previously used rocket-launching engines to fire the weapon and domestically developed turbojet engines for the second stage. The Navy's cruise missiles and supersonic cruise missile deployment now reportedly use ramjets, an air propulsion system. The development comes days after the U.S. reportedly deployed more than 3,000 sailors aboard two warships to the Red Sea to bolster the U.S. military presence in the region. Meanwhile, Iran's Revolutionary Guard recently announced that its Navy fleet had received a range of new homegrown military hardware, including combat and reconnaissance drones, as well as cruise missiles and ballistic missiles with a range of up to 1,000 kilometers or 600 miles. In June, Iran unveiled Fatah, its first domestically manufactured hypersonic ballistic missile, which claims it can travel five times faster than the speed of sound. Thank you, Eric, for those facts. And we'll begin this round of narratives with a pro-establishment narrative from the Jewish News Syndicate. The fact that the Iranian regime has claimed to have developed hypersonic ballistic and supersonic cruise missiles underscores its threat to the entire region. Tehran already has the largest and most diverse missile arsenal in the Middle East, with which it threatens Israel and Arab countries of the Persian Gulf. Tehran's irresponsible actions have triggered a regional arms race with incalculable consequences. The establishment critical narrative is courtesy of Press TV. The development of the supersonic cruise missile is a significant technological milestone for Tehran and impressively demonstrates Iran's high-tech capabilities. Moreover, the recent U.S. saber-rattling in the Persian Gulf once again underscores the need for Iran to make its armed forces self-sufficient and continuously develop its military defense capabilities. Iran has every right to defend its national security interests. And this time around, we have a cynical narrative from Iran International. Just as there's no independent confirmation of Iran's hypersonic missile, there's no evidence of its latest claim to have added a supersonic missile to its arsenal. Iran has again made dubious, unverified, and exaggerated claims regarding its military capabilities. The Metaculous Prediction community is giving us our first nerd narrative of today's podcast. They say there's a 49% chance that Iran will possess a nuclear weapon before the year 2030. Eric, when are you going to possess your first nuclear <laughs> missile? Here's the deal. Your dude. arsenal, and I just don't think it's true. I'm going to wait until you're finished with yours. I'm going to purchase yours from you because, you know, it's just like anything else. They lose half their value the minute you launch it. Oh, so you'll get a deal. Yeah. I'll text you when I'm done. Uh, yeah, please do. <laughs> India passes a landmark data protection bill. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Associated Press, Reuters, Al Jazeera, TechCrunch, and Verdict. On Wednesday, Indian lawmakers approved a data protection bill to manage how tech companies utilize users' data, despite concerns that the law could give more surveillance power to the government. 
The new legislation, the Digital Personal Data Protection Bill 2023, gives the government the discretion to excuse state agencies from complying with the law and allows users to alter or delete their data. The law will also allow the government to decide which countries can receive Indian data and will see the formation of a government-appointed board to advise on decisions. This comes after two earlier versions of the legislation were canceled in 2021 and 2019 amid criticisms from tech companies like Facebook and Google. Any company found in violation of the new law could face a penalty of up to $30 million. Independent groups and opposition leaders have criticized the bill's government exemptions, including allowing it to overrule the need for companies to obtain consent before collecting user data. The bill will take effect once approved by President Drupadi Mormu. Melissa, thank you for the facts. Our first spin is Narrative A coming from Op India. This is a tremendous win for the Indian people as the government looks to protect their rights in the digital age. With all the information and access available today, many people are vulnerable to their personal data being accessed by corporations or nefarious actors. The government recognized that problem and is cracking down on inappropriate data breaches. And here's a narrative B from Reuters. Civil society groups have rightly raised concerns about the scope of exemptions in India's new data protection law which doesn't contain sufficient safeguards against overboard surveillance by the government and could adversely affect press freedom and dilute the right to information law. This bill may protect citizens from big tech, but it leaves them vulnerable to the state's prying eyes. Russia and Ukraine exchange drone attacks. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press. TASS, the Times of Israel, and Ukraine's Kapravda. Russian air defenses reportedly shot down two drones headed to Moscow for the second straight day on Thursday, again causing delays and disruptions to the city's two international airports. One drone was brought down in the Odensovo district of the capital, while the other was brought down in the Kaluga region on the outskirts of Moscow, the country's defense ministry said. Russian officials also said that 11 drones were brought down en route to the Crimean city of Sevastopol with two being shot down by air defenses, while the remaining nine were brought down using electronic warfare means. There were no reports of injuries from either attack. Ukraine's Air Force, meanwhile, said that it shot down seven of ten drones deployed by Russia over the country overnight. Officials in the Rivna region said that as a result of drones that penetrated there, an oil depot was destroyed. There were no reports of injuries at this stage. Russia also launched overnight missile and rocket attacks on the Zaporizhia region. Local officials said that three civilians were killed while nine more were injured. Later on Thursday, Ukraine ordered the evacuation of around 12,000 residents in 37 towns in the eastern Kharkiv region amid reports of Russian gains in the area. Thank you, Eric. And we'll start this round of spins with a pro-establishment narrative from PBS NewsHour. This evasion is an egregious violation of international law. Putin's ultimate aim is to restore the Soviet empire, even if it takes massive bloodshed and false pretexts such as calling the 2014 Ukrainian revolution after an election a coup. This unprovoked attack is the latest chapter in Putin's Orwellian attempt to rewrite history. National Security Archive gives us the establishment critical narrative. NATO and the U.S. have ignored Russia's security concerns by breaking its promise not to expand eastward in return for German reunification. These concerns are legitimate, and taking them seriously would have avoided the Ukraine tragedy. And we have another nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 52% chance that Russian territory will be reduced to at least 1% before 2040. 
In our next story, the FBI is accused of a widespread campaign to label traditional Catholics as radicals. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Wall Street Journal, Fox News, the New York Post, the Catholic News Agency, and the Post Millennial. The House Judiciary Committee on Wednesday released a less redacted internal FBI document suggesting that the agency labeled some Catholics as extremists and targeted them with a far greater frequency than Director Christopher Wray admitted to the committee. Multiple FBI field offices contributed to a memo that labeled some traditional Catholics as potential terrorists, contradicting Ray's July sworn congressional testimony that claimed the FBI's Catholic investigation was a single product by a single field office. A redacted version of a January memo into racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists in radical Catholic ideology drew criticism, as many believed the FBI was targeting the religious group. In March, Ray said the memo came from the Richmond, Virginia office, and the FBI took immediate steps to withdraw it and remove it. However, the House Judiciary Committee's new press release shows that the FBI's Portland and Los Angeles offices also contributed to the memo, suggesting that the FBI's alleged targeting of Catholics was more widespread than initially suspected. Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, and Mike Johnson, Republican of Louisiana, sent a letter to Ray about the new information contradicting his testimony. After the FBI didn't respond to an April subpoena, the committee said it could seek contempt proceedings if the agency didn't substantially improve its compliance on July 17th. A week later, the FBI handed over additional files surrounding their Catholic initiative. Jordan and Johnson have now asked for a list of FBI intelligence products cited in the report and the liaison contact from the Portland and L.A. offices. Ray has until August 22nd to comply with the requests. Those are the facts, and our first spin is coming from Zero Hedge. It's an establishment critical narrative. It was already confirmed that, as suspected, the FBI has slandered and targeted Catholics as, quote, white supremacist extremists. But we now know that this insidious campaign was even more widespread than initially thought. In addition to attacking a religious group for having beliefs that don't align with regime orthodoxy, the FBI's director lied about the extent of this effort. It seems that anyone can be labeled a white supremacist terrorist for any unpopular belief. The New York Times brings us a pro-establishment narrative. Violent extremism is on the rise from the right wing, and some far-right factions of Catholics are part of a coalition that seeks to undermine democracy. Religious extremism and terror aren't a novel threat, and rhetoric coming from traditional Catholics sounds quite similar to far-right radicals who have attacked abortion centers and even stormed the Capitol on January 6, 2021. Not all Catholics are extremists, but we shouldn't turn a blind eye to those that are. In our next story, a special counsel has sought Trump's Twitter account and fined his company. Here are the facts as agreed upon by PBS NewsHour, Al Jazeera, CNN, Fox News, and Independent. Court documents released Wednesday reveal that special counsel Jack Smith's team in January 2023 presented a search warrant to social media platform X, then known as Twitter, for records related to former U.S. President Donald Trump's account. In addition, a judge fined the platform $350,000 for delaying its compliance with the warrant, which was part of Smith's investigation into Trump's actions following the 2020 presidential election. The documents detail how the platform, which suspended Trump after the January 6, 2021 protests at the U.S. Capitol, didn't fully comply with the warrant until three days after the court-ordered deadline. 
It's unknown what Smith was specifically seeking from Twitter because those portions of the warrant remain redacted, but the platform was ordered not to inform Trump about the warrant. Following an appeal from Twitter, Trump was informed about certain details in June. Trump reacted to the news on his social media platform, Truth Social, calling the warrant a significant hit on his civil rights and accusing Biden of attempting to infringe on his campaign for the GOP presidential nomination. Trump has pleaded not guilty to four charges brought by Smith related to alleged attempts to overturn the 2020 election. Thanks, Eric, for those facts. And we'll begin this round of spins with a pro-Trump narrative from PJ Media. The Biden administration will stop at nothing to derail Trump's campaign, including stomping on a private company's First Amendment rights. Smith, a proven crooked prosecutor, is leading a partisan probe on behalf of the weaponized Justice Department while attempting to stop the man who's going to defeat Biden in 2024. Americans should worry about how far the Biden regime will go to maintain power. We follow that up with a Democratic narrative coming from Daily Cause. This case is simple. There was probable cause to search Trump's account without informing the former president, and Twitter failed to comply. Allegations that violated First Amendment rights don't hold water, as X has been granting requests for information from some of the worst oppressive regimes around the world. Complying with this warrant in the name of protecting U.S. democracy was the least it could do. And there's another nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 35% chance that if the 2024 U.S. presidential election pits Trump versus Biden, Trump will win. In our final story today, scientists may have found evidence of a fifth force of nature. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News and Futurism. Scientists at the U.S. Particle Accelerator Facility, Fermilab, have found potential evidence that subatomic particles, called muons, are behaving differently than expected based on the current theory of subatomic physics, suggesting that a fifth force of nature, separate from gravity, electromagnetism, the strong force or the weak force, could be at play. The researchers sent the muons, which are similar to electrons, but 207 times the size, around a 46-foot magnetized ring at Fermilab. The experiment revealed that the particles wobbled in uncharacteristic ways than what is expected under the standard model of how particles interact. For 50 years, scientists have been able to predict the behavior of subparticles, which make up atoms, perfectly with no errors. Everything in the world is made of atoms. However, the research published in the journal Physical Review Letters cannot be officially claimed as a new physics discovery, as there's still a 1 in 40,000 chance that it's incorrect. Fermilab scientist Chris Pauly also said that only 6% of the data collected has been analyzed to date. Scientists believe in a fifth force for several reasons, including how galaxies are continuing to accelerate apart after the Big Bang Theory rather than slowing down and how they're spinning faster than they should, considering how much material is known to be in them. This is believed to be due to invisible particles known as dark matter, which aren't part of the standard model. Melissa, thank you for the facts of that story. Our first spin is Narrative A coming from Astronomy Magazine. While many physicists agree that there are more forces of nature out there, especially regarding dark matter, we shouldn't let news like this get our hopes too high. Groups of researchers have claimed to have discovered the fifth force for decades now, all of which were eventually debunked. Science is, of course, about trial and error, but the evidence has to be unequivocally clear before such claims can be made. And here's Narrative B from BBC News. 
Though researchers are still stuck in the 1 in 40,000 chance of being wrong, they have consistently seen this unpredictable wobbling for over two years now. There's more work to be done, but we should all be excited as the Fermilab grows closer and closer to officially discovering a fifth force of nature. As expected, the Metaculous Prediction community giving us a nerd narrative for this story. They say there's a 51% chance that we will know what dark matter is before the year 2050. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, August 11th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Melissa Top I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News. Mm-hmm.